Petri Dish is a product of Petri Dish Media, all rights reserved. Petri Dish is a science comedy podcast and should not be used as medical advice. Do not get medical advice from a podcast. And therefore, as a free man, I take pride in the words, Ich bin ein Science! Science! Yes. I know the human being and science can coexist peacefully. This was their finest. Today's episode of Petri Dish is brought to you by Kind Bar. Kind Bar is a thing you put into the mouth. Is this good? Is this song good to you guys? Kind is deeply committed to crafting food with real, recognizable ingredients, a disruptive notion that sparked the creation of a new, healthy snacking category. Kind is unapologetic in their efforts to challenge the status quo to shift the food industry and empower their community and our listeners to make better, informed choices about health. Kindness can be a transformative force for good, and that's why we are teaming up with Kind and Podgo to bring our listeners 10% or 15% off for military, teachers, students, first responders, doctors, and nurses. Go to podgo.co slash kind. That's P-O-D-G-O dot C-O slash kind to get that deal. Kind Bar, creating a kinder and healthier world, one act, one snack at a time. Folks, welcome to Petri Dish. I'm Nathan. I'm Sean. And it's Black History Month, so we're going to talk about... Wait, it is, right? It is. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I was looking up because, like... So, technically, yeah, what we're talking about today is a black chemist, right? He was the first black chemist to be inducted into the National Academy of Sciences. Really big deal. His name is Percy LeVon Julian. And we're talking about Dr. Julian. We're doing one of the kind of first ones of what I hope to be a series... Here in Black History Month, it's a little bit of a coincidence. It's just something that I've wanted to do since the summer of last year, basically, right? Maybe on this pod, March will also be Black History Month. Maybe every month we'll have Black History. Sure, yeah. I mean, Every month has white history, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Every day is another day in white history. Right. Every day is is Asian Mama Day, you know, in our house. (laughs) So, you know. Basically, I wanted to be able to dig in on individual scientists because we we did a whole series, right, on racism in science. Yeah. And I think that we got to really take a good look at how science has kind of held hands with racism for a very, very long time. Yeah. Right? But kind of part of the way through that I realized we were just talking about a whole bunch of assholes the whole right. time and we weren't actually talking about any black people and how awesome they were and right. so like uh, it just felt like let's do some episodes where right. we actually highlight individual black scientists and their accomplishment this is actually also kind of an experimental episode in that we're trying to release this along with an episode from a different podcast right that other podcast is called one Mike black history and it's a really cool podcast. I listen to it. There's a solo host, and he kind of picks a topic in black history or a figure in black history, and he kind of digs in. The episodes are a reasonable length. You know, we're talking like 20 to 30 minutes, maybe. Very digestible. And so he and I reached out to each other about doing kind of a collaboration. Right. And so in this case, we're going to cover the science side of Dr. Julian. 
And he's going to be releasing on, I think, the same day, an episode of kind of more of the biography of Dr. Julian. That other podcast, again, is One Mike Black History. And I listen to it on Spotify, but I'm sure you can find it on whatever your podcast app is. I would consider checking it out, too, especially the kind of companion episode to this episode. All right. So let's talk about Dr. Julian and his chemistry accomplishments. Okay, so we got to talk a little bit about this guy's situation, historical context, right? Yes. Uh, when was he born? So he was born in 1899. For you guys who don't know, that's around the Bioshock prequel. <laughs> right? Wow. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. And he okay. Got, we had whole cities in the sky back then. <laughs> connected to giant balloons. <laughs> so turn of the century, 1899. And he was born in Montgomery, Alabama. Damn. Yes, that is a place to be in 1899 and black. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and he ended up passing away in 1975. Nice. After a very long and impressive career. And we're going to be diving primarily into the science of that career. But yeah, as we mentioned at the top, he was the first black chemist to be inducted into the National Academy of Sciences. And overall, only the second black person to be inducted into the Academy of Sciences by that time. So, wow. So, first black chemist, but also second black scientist. He got his bachelor's degree from DePaul University. I keep wanting that to be DePaul, which right. is a university that you can, or a college in Chicago. Right. But it's DePaul. DePaul. University in 1920. Then he got a master's in chemistry from Harvard, cool. but could not get a PhD there. Why not? Because they were like, some of the students are Southerners. Right. And you're black. Right. So, you know, we can't That's like... That's gonna... Ooh, can't do that. Yeah. That'd be a faux pas. So, you can't get a PhD here. Right. Luckily, they don't let Southerners into Europe. So <laughs> then he went to Vienna. Exactly. So then he went to University of Vienna. In 1931. And, well, he, he got his PhD in 1931. Ah, okay. okay so he was there for a few safer. years. Yeah. And then 1931, got his PhD, came back to the US. Okay. Woo. So, since that point, he had published over 160 papers... He filed over 100 patents, well over 100 patents, relating to chemistry, particularly chemical synthesis of natural products so that they can be scaled up in industrial processes. Right, nice. And so, you know, with that many papers and patents, clearly he did like a lot of shit. We can't cover all the stuff he did, so I'm going to go through some of like the heavy hitters, like the big things that he did. Okay, John, tell me about bean poisons. Yes, okay. Calabar bean poison. So in southern Nigeria, they have this bean, something called the calabar bean, or sometimes also called the chopping nut. And basically... Wait, why is it called the chopping nut? I don't know. I don't know why people call things things. I don't like the word chopping and nut. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I had this recurring dream with Stacey chasing me with a cleaver. I see. (laughs) And that's the chopping knife. Very dangerous. Yeah. So basically, peoples living in southern Nigeria used this nut as a test for witchcraft. Right. Uh, You know, kind of one of those ordeal tests, right? That was kind of common in witch trials. Okay. Which is, you suspect someone's a witch, you give them a test that, like, realistically is a bullshit test. Right. In this case, calabar beans are highly toxic. They would make the witch eat the calabar bean. Cool. If they died, they were a witch. Nice. If they lived, usually by puking, 
up the toxin. That not... wasn't considered like cheating or something. <laughs> I don't know if they like actually put their hands down their throats to like actively puke, right. or if they just like sometimes their bodies would luckily puke and they'd uh, survive. Okay, okay, okay. Those people were not witches. Okay, congratulations. Have we ever studied the efficacy of this? In terms of how often the false negatives, false positives yeah, on, on witchdom? Like among the, the tribes that use this method versus whatever, like the Igbo nearby who don't, how, what's the rate of witchcraft? <laughs> 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 like, does it efficaciously diminish witchcraftery? I think it's really good at killing people you don't like. <laughs> so, you know, this uh, bean contains a pretty powerful toxin. It's a chemical called physiostigmine. And... What we know about that chemical now is that it stops a certain enzyme in your body from working. This enzyme is one that degrades a neurotransmitter called acetylcholine. Okay. So when you get this toxin, your levels of acetylcholine go up, usually in what's called the neuromuscular junction. So that means the places where your neurons are trying to talk to your muscles. Okay. And that interferes with that kind of talk between your neurons and your muscles which basically gives you paralysis. Right, okay. It gives you what's called flaccid paralysis. Nice. Because you can be paralyzed and be all tensed up. Right. Or you can be paralyzed and all loopy-goopy. And this loopy-goops you. Yes. Okay. And it can loopy-goop you to the point where your muscles aren't working for breathing. So what this guy do? Like, eliminate it? Like, this sounds terrible with no <laughs> use, right? Well, okay. So missionaries came to Africa. Okay. And in this case... And brought them fire. No, I was just kidding. Let's so, cut that out. <laughs> so this is like in the 1840s. Yeah. They show up and they run into this bean and the witchcraft situation. Can you imagine just being like, ah! There's <laughs> like, folks chasing you. You just, wow, right head person to a pile of beans. So they were like ah! writing about this bean. They're like, wow, they use this in witchcraft trials. Like right. that's, that's kooky as right. if like a hundred years earlier, they weren't doing the same kind of right. shit in England. In, uh, but Europe. leave it to the Scots. Some Scots guy was reading about this, and he's like, well, I need to eat that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> they sent some samples back, which somehow found their way into a Scotsman's mouth. Yeah. And this dude, Robert Christensen, mm. he was a toxicologist in the 1850s. Very cool. Which apparently means you just eat shit. Right. And then see what happens to you. It was an easier time to be a scientist, <laughs> really. You know? So, so he, he ate this calabar bean and apparently didn't die because yeah, afterwards cool. he wrote about its effects. And then he crossbred it with habanero to make the scotch bonnet, which is why <laughs> scotch bonnet paralyzes your tongue. No. <laughs> okay, uh, well, anyway, so he ate it. He didn't die. Yeah, so he didn't good. die. I mean, did then, he puke or something? Like, uh, I'm sure he felt really shitty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure he felt really shitty. He probably tried to eat as small a dose as he could, like way out right 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 but he still got pretty fucked up what a bitch and then a couple of other scots encountered his stash i guess it's just a bunch of scots suddenly experimenting with this and of all the places in europe the one still trying witches was scotland (laughs) (laughs) and so there's just like all these dead women from all the beans they're feeding now so what they ended up figuring out these other scots was that there was a chemical in there which they called physostigmine okay and that when you use that chemical it can cause you know that kind of paralysis situation okay which they reasoned would be useful as a treatment for glaucoma that's interesting so how does that pan out right so glaucoma which is an eye disease right it's a situation where the pressure in your eyeballs Uh, goes too high okay and when the pressure goes up that high it pushes on your optic nerve and basically fucks with your ability to see so we're gonna literally paralysize some of that shit in there. Yes. The way that the pressure builds up is from certain cells in your eyes 
and when they're all tight, the liquid doesn't flow out of your eyes very well. That's interesting. And so you get high pressure. Right. So the idea here is use the toxin to paralyze those cells so they can't be tight anymore. They loosen up a little bit. Why does weed help? With glaucoma? Yeah. I think it's kind of similar. Damn. In, in that it causes like a loosening and the, the pressure can drop because the liquid can flow out easier. Yeah. The only problem is that tolerance builds up very, very quickly for that. Right. And also you're not as good at working... <laughs> you know, you're spending all your money on Taco Bell. It depends on your job, but yeah, most yeah. of the time you're not yeah. as good at working. Okay, but and obviously they weren't all smoking weed at the time, so like right. having a treatment for glaucoma is a pretty big deal. Yeah, and that was pretty sweet. The thing is that like this is a chemical that, as far as they knew, they only could get out of this bean. Right, and like with a lot of natural things, a lot of other shit in the bean, you don't really get that much chemical extracting it from a bean. Right, and this is like. A specific bean that grows in, like, southern Nigeria. Right. It's, like, one of those, like, a it's a crawling plant, so it likes to grow up onto trees It's and not an easy thing to cultivate outside of its context. Right. So they were like, how the fuck are we going to get more of this stuff? So in the 1920s and 30s, there was actually a lot of people trying to figure out how to make this chemical. Cool. And in 1925, some scientists figured out the structure of the chemical. And that really opens up the door for synthesizing, right? Once you know kind of like what carbons are supposed to be where and what hydrogens are supposed to be where, there's like a lot of things you can try to do to synthesize that. Cool. Even though that's the case, the structure is pretty complicated. Right. And so a lot of people were having a hard time. Okay, this is where our hero comes in. Right. Now, Dr. Julian, he's working at DePau again, where he got his undergrad degree, right? He's now finished his PhD. Yeah. He's back in the U.S. He's working at his alma mater. But in any good movie, you need a rival. Yes. And you, you want one with an English accent. Ideally. Ideally. Come Benedict Cumberbitch comes in. And so we have Dr. Robert Robinson. Ugh. And Already he, hate him. Yeah. And he's a, an English chemist and a Nobel laureate at the time. Damn. Right? So he's got a Nobel Prize. He's a fancy boy. Okay. Okay. Cool. And, you know, so he's an older established figure. He's got a lab. He's working away on it in England. You know, and he's Anglo-Saxon and... You know, not black, so, like, that's hard. Yeah, so fuck that dude. Anyway, so they're both putting out papers. Right. And it just so happens that Dr. Robinson, the English fancy boy, right, puts out a paper that says, I've done it. I have, okay. I have completely synthesized Damn. this physiostigmine. So Percy just got wrecked. Well, so then, so that's 1935. Boom, okay. paper comes out. Hmm. Dr. Next, Julian. Italy invades Ethiopia. <laughs> <laughs> then Halal Selassie gives a speech. Then Dr. Julian. Yeah, so Dr. Julian, he reads the paper. And he sees that there's this little number in the data. The melting point. Oh, no! <laughs> and so, Got him! Uh, the melting point of a chemical is like... It's a characteristic of that chemical. Right. That doesn't really change. Right, okay? that makes a lot of sense. So, like, if you have caffeine, just like a pile of caffeine... And one day, its melting point is 238 degrees Celsius. Right. And then a week later, its melting point is 250 degrees Celsius. It's not caffeine it's, anymore. Right. It must be something just different. Yeah. It must have degraded or some kind of shit oh, into some other chemical. fuck, dude. So, Dr. Julian's looking through, and he's like, Damn. That melting point that they have for their product is not the same as physiostigmine from a calabar bean. Damn. They're different numbers. So, he, he reasoned that that dude... This English doctor this fuck. did not actually make the product he thought he did. Dude, the high, guy was high on still and cheese and crack, right? <laughs> so Dr. Julian was like, tea. 
I still get to shoot my shot, right? Nice. So he publishes a paper later that year. I'm not going to waste my load. <laughs> <laughs> he publishes a paper later that year that says, first of all, other dude was wrong. Ah! And second of all, here is my synthesis to make the final product. Dude, that cool. Okay, damn. Yeah, and he just like fucking slam dunked that dude. Dude, this sounds like an awesome movie made for TV. <laughs> um, so that accomplishment on its own was a very big deal. Very cool. Okay, in the chemistry world, that was enough to be like recognized by chemists worldwide. That's awesome. Like, this dude really nailed it. Damn. And so using his synthesis, they were able to produce a lot more of this drug as a glaucoma tree. That's cool. Did like chemistry get like racist or something? Like, I don't know. Like did... Hey, that's a good question. I don't know. Cause you know that... So for example, when he got his degree at University of Vienna, yeah. he said that he had a great time. Right. He said that like, as far as the people at the University of Vienna were concerned, dude. he was just a smart dude. There's so much dank snatch out there. Like he must have had a great time. You, you must have been frying up schnitzel. <laughs> you know, we've, we've all been there in separate contexts. And I remember when I was there, dude, it was like Cake City just smile. You know, it was like madness. It was like walking out of the Belvedere. It's like laid in velvet. <laughs> it was crazy, man. He you, must have had a great time. You did, uh, you did throw in Vienna, Oh, uh, right? did I throw back to throw? <laughs> I, was just, <laughs> I was just drinking lap cheese. <laughs> it was madness. Well, that's great. <laughs> that's not true. I didn't get laid at all. <laughs> anyway, he got... I don't even like schnitzel. <laughs> he got a lot of really solid recognition. Okay. And that was awesome. Cool. And then he went on to do his next batch of really awesome stuff Boom. relating to steroids. So let's take a break. Oh. And then when we come back, let's talk about them steroids. Sweet. Hey guys, this is Donatella Iglesias. And studies show that 93% of our listeners are filled with constant existential dread. Every news item makes them quiver in their blankets, afraid that the world is going to end, there's no hope whatsoever, and God damn it, they just need someone to hold. The dating apps, they're not good enough. I don't want to date. I'm going to die. We're all going to die someday. You need someone to hold. You need someone now. Well, luckily, there's a new app for us. It's called Settle. Download it and swipe left, swipe right, it doesn't matter. It matches you with the person no matter what. So you can get rid of all the nonsense rituals of dating and finally just find a person to just be with as we all wait for our eminent demise. Be happy. Download Settle and settle today. What I kind of think is fun is like, this guy and his generation of chemists were so important in developing the synthesized world that now people have this deep, deep, deep misguided mistrust of. Sure. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Well, what what's so weird is that like, <laughs> so people mistrust a lot of pharma biotech stuff you right? represent everything wrong in this world to some people let's calm down <laughs> they don't need to know that they, these people have to trust me so let's not let's not hit that point too hard but at the same time like they'll take advil or something right right you know what i mean and it, how the fuck do you think advil exists it right. wasn't picked off some fucking gwyneth paltrow's fucking bean tree in her backyard exactly but yeah it is true that he was working at a time period as we're about to talk about where a lot of things that are now pretty familiar ideas to us were just barely being figured out at all. Right? You know, before Dr. Percy, you know what they did instead of Advil when you had a headache? You know what they did? They drilled a f***ing hole in your head, <laughs> right? They f***ing got a f***ing drill. They f***ing 
drilled a fucking hole in your head. 90% of people died. And cocaine. And probably. cocaine. <laughs> it's like, oh, I have a headache. Bring me my laudanum or yeah, something. So you know, like, worse and better than yeah. now in some ways. Yes. So I think a lot of people know kind of broadly that steroids are stuff. Yeah. But mm. they might not know how many things count as a steroid. Right. right. You know, people like me, layman, common men, are used to thinking about steroids as like you just get jacked. Sure. But in reality, steroids is like a whole class of shit. Right, right. So, you know, testosterone is a steroid. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. also estrogen. estrogen. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. progesterone. Progesterone's used in birth control pills, right? Nice, dude. Um, and then also hydrocortisone yeah. or cortisol, right? We talked about stress hormones Yeah. in our stress episodes. Cortisol is a steroid. Yeah, steroids are, what are they, like signaling stuff? Or are they just like, are they like yeah. running around being like, Ugh! Yeah, yeah, they're basically hydrophobic small molecules mm. that your body, but then also lots of animals, lots of plants. It's a class of chemical right. that often gets used in signaling really by many, many organisms. I was reading kind of interesting article about the biological nature of phobias and that people who are afraid of the water have a lot of steroids. Because uh -huh. <laughs> their their body they're chemically hydrophobic. is more hydrophobic. God damn, that's stupid. <laughs> that's beautiful. Wow, shit. Okay, so one of those that I mentioned, hydrocortisone, is a steroid that's used for topical anti-inflammatory creams. Like you can get a hydrocortisone cream. I don't use that. I use Egyptian Ankh magic balm. Oh, <laughs> yeah. nice. Do you, do you just put a pyramid on top of your wounds? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. A day later, it's cured? Yeah, well, on the it's not nothing. On the underneath, is just like the finest of the Egyptian breast milk. Oh, Yeah, that you've allowed nice. to curdle a little bit. Of course, yeah. You, you want <laughs> it to be a little bit of like a cream cheese kind of consistency. It's a land of magic, Sean. <laughs> okay, but anyway. Yeah. Um... So steroids can be anti-inflammatory. Steroids are obviously important for signaling, stress response, all kinds of stuff, right? Cool. So there are, of course, the sex hormones, estrogen, testosterone, and progesterone, really important for pregnancy and the menstrual cycle. Yeah, I, I take a lot of progesterone right. as birth control. <laughs> That's not how that works. It, it binds to my... <laughs> you know? And then they can't wiggle as good as it gets I, to the tail. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's generally my goal to not have you talk about your you on see, any of these episodes. You didn't see that coming, did you? Uh, okay, so <laughs> fuck. A lot of these hormones were being figured out in the 1920s and 1930s. Okay, very okay. Cool. So j just so that you understand, something like progesterone or estrogen, their structures and the fact that they do what we know they do now. 1910, we like barely even knew. Yeah, we like almost didn't know at all. Right. Like, I'm, I'm talking like 1928 is when we figured out that like estrogen does a lot of the things that we now know it does in our bodies. Right. That is like, that feels late. You yeah. know, like 1920, 1930, sure. Like that's a while ago. You know, 1920 is now 101 years yeah. ago. But like, seriously, we haven't known that stuff for that long. Hey, Sean, is it true that there's like a lot of hormones in like modern milk? And that's why kids are like, getting all like like puberty earlier and earlier or is that just like a whole lot of shit ton of hearsay that's a good question i would need to look into whether the the part about if that's why kids are entering puberty earlier right uh there are hormones in milk right sure some of them are supposed to be like less hormones because the cows aren't like specifically injected with hormones or something like that right. but in general hormones are just signaling molecules some right. are going to be in every, it's in human breast milk and stuff right. like that that's just all over the place right whether or not it has an impact on 
kids or children or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. I'd have you, to look you into You know, it. in Eastern Europe during the Soviet Union, they would actually have children that they wanted to have as bodybuilders that have them suck at the teat of lactating men. I see. Because their breast milk had more testosterone. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. clearly. Yeah, a generation of buff dudes. Yeah, I saw that Rocky movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What, what, one of those Rockies. Which one was it with the... It was Dolph Lundgren, right? Yeah, I don't remember, but he suckled at the teeth of, of, <laughs> of a jacked man. That is for sure. <laughs> um, okay, so we were just kind of figuring out what these were, right? But they were clearly very important. And right. the medical potential for these was clear right away, Yeah. right? Immediately doctors were like, oh shit, this would be super useful for all kinds of stuff. If right. we could like have a good amount and give it yeah. to people. Unlike mRNA vaccines, where doctors are like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> That happened real quick. <laughs> so, uh, so <laughs> progesterone, which is now used in a lot of the birth control pills, was another one of these steroids that they were like, I wish we could have a lot of this. Yeah. So, physiostigmine, we talked about how there was this kind of problem where originally it was like, oh, we have to get it out of these beans from like sort of a weird, you know, it's not like, these don't just grow in gigantic fields somewhere. They're right. not cultivated. Right. Progesterone is also very difficult. The way that people were getting progesterone to do the tests that they were doing so far in labs were like juicing animal ovaries. Gross. Or boiling thousands of gallons of urine to try to collect like a few crystals of progesterone. Okay, so suck. That sucks. Yeah, it was just like that was not going to be a good way to do it. So in the same kind of thing that Dr. Julian did before, people were like, okay, we need a way to mass produce this shit chemistry style. Boom. They figured out the chemical structure, and then it was like, okay, what we understand at this point is that it's a molecule of a grouping that's kind of actually similar to the Calabar beans chemicals as Boom. well. He's a Calabar man. Yeah, so uh, the Calabar bean, it's got this chemical called stigmasterol, and that's kind of, it's a similar chemical, so it might be a starting point for making progesterone. Okay, so here's Dr. Julian. He's working at the world's greatest chemistry company. He's going to ride in. He's going to start synthesizing this, right? Well, so at the at the time where Dr. Julian was working was a company called Glidden Paints. Oh, okay. He was working at a paint company. Yeah, that sounds like something out of a Coen Brothers movie. <laughs> Glidden Paints, 20 miles from over. Yeah, so he was working as a chemist there to figure out different chemicals to add to paints. <laughs> nice. And in this case, he was working... <laughs> he just dunking lead in. <laughs> He's like, lead makes it strong. <laughs> well, one of his main projects actually at that time was working with soybeans... Oh. To get soy protein to put into paint to make it work better in cold weather. I think it's what's fun about the 1930s and agricultural stuff is that, like, they were just coming out of, like, the Dust Bowl and shit. And, and you know, at the time, FDR would actually pay farmers to burn excess crops rather than flood the market and destroy prices, right? And you can just imagine people are sitting around being like, oh my God, we have too many soybeans. <laughs> like, we got to figure out something to do with all this fucking soybeans. Yeah, well, I mean, so Glidden Paints had a subsidiary company mm. called Durky Famous Foods. <laughs> I don't know why a paint company Durky. had a food subsidiary. Durky sounds like a turkey spliced with a fat dick. <laughs> like a Durky. Big old Durky. Anyway, so Durky Food Company yeah. had a warehouse, and in this warehouse, they had this big, big container of soy oil, mm. oil from soybeans, and it was just in this huge vat. Yeah. They had a leak one day where water got into the vat yes. and ruined it. Oh. And, and, you know, but 
Yeah. One man's ruined vat is another man's chemical. Yeah, so just to give people an idea, this is like 100,000 gallons of soybean oil. Wow. Right? Okay. So like what you were talking about where he was, oh, burn the fields. Yeah. So Somebody was like, oh, you have a bunch of soybeans you're not using? Let's squeeze them for oil and put them in a vat in this fucking right. food company. So huge vat of soybean oil. Water gets in. Ruins it. But Dr. Julian, working at Glidden... Was like, you know, I kind of remember back in my University of Vienna days that when some of the other scientists wanted... Between looking up from all the pussy, he was like... (laughs) (laughs) Briefly glance up from the bed and have a thought about chemistry. He he said he went to the opera a lot. (laughs) That's classic Central European. You know what that means. So what he remembers is that some of the other scientists working in the lab that he was at would sometimes get stigmasterol from calabar bean oil... By adding water. Basically, if you mix water with the oil, crystals of the stigmasterol would form. So he was like, hey, can I see your big fucking vat of ruined soybean oil? Yeah. And when he went over there, he found a shitload of crystals had formed. Wow. And that those crystals were basically the same chemical. They were a shitload of stigmasterol. That's cool. So soybeans also had that chemical in them, stigmasterol. Nice. And he had just collected a fucking shitload of it. Right. So using that and some other papers that were published by other labs around the world that had figured out, like, hey, if we had stigmasterol, we could make progesterone. He just scaled it up. He scaled it up, made a ton of progesterone. Yeah. And then Glidden Paint Company was now a pharmaceutical company. You can imagine the guy, he has a cigar, he's the owner, he's like, What are you talking about? I'm a paint company, not, not pharmaceutical. Yeah, well, I mean, once they took a look at the potential price of progesterone, right. at the time they figured out they really had it's something like paint, good going on. Paint, progesterone. <laughs> yeah, so at that point, Glidden Paint Company became a pharmaceutical company. They sold their progesterone to a company called Upjohn pharmaceuticals cool and upjohn became the main seller of progesterone in the united states that progesterone went into the first generation of birth control pills cool so like all of that birth control shit that women have been able to take uh is basically because dr julian figured out this scale-up ability from soybean oil nice dude so that's not the only steroid though let's take a break and then when we get back we'll talk about the other steroid that he looked at the hydrocortisone. Mm-hmm. The following is an actual advertisement. Hi, my name is David Mendez and I host the Papa PhD podcast. Is it about parenthood? Not really, but it can be. Is it about the PhD? Not exclusively. It's about growing up during grad school and about the possibilities and best practices around starting to carve and shape your career path early on. Let's say you're asking yourself, What kind of job can I get with a PhD? Or telling yourself, no one hires PhDs outside academia? Well, then this podcast is for you. Tune in to Papa PhD every Thursday and listen to my guests' insightful stories of finding their way in academia, but also in entrepreneurship and in the most diverse sectors of the job market. Each week, I will cover themes ranging from work-life balance and mental health in grad school, to advice on job hunting and career building. So go to papaphd.com or subscribe on your favorite platform to follow us every Thursday and to take part in the conversation. 
Okay, so how did... What's his relationship to the very infamous Hydrocodazole? <laughs> yeah, okay. So in 1948, post-war now, some scientists at the Mayo Clinic... I've heard of the Mayo Clinic. Yeah, it's They're, famous. So at the Mayo Clinic, they found this compound called cortisone, and it had amazing effects on patients they were treating that were suffering from an autoimmune disease called rheumatoid arthritis. Very cool. We talked about rheumatoid arthritis and autoimmune diseases in our episode on the topic. And actually, yeah, steroids are a potential treatment for that because they can be anti-inflammatory. The only problem is that the scientists and doctors that were using this barely scrounged up enough cortisone. How do you get it? So basically, the way they were getting it was from the bile of slaughtered cows. Ew. But to make a one-year supply for a single patient, because this is a treatment where you'd keep needing to take it, right? Right, right. One year for one patient, you would need to combine the bile from thousands of cows and then perform over 30 chemical reactions. Okay, so very valuable, very hard to do. Yeah, extremely hard to do. Cortisone was worth more than its weight in gold at the time. So so it it was very, very expensive and hard to come by. But that's good to hear. Because gold is stupid, right? Like, <laughs> like, why is gold valuable like that, you know? You know, that's dumb. I think gold, well, yeah. At, at least you can use Bitcoin to, to buy a Tesla. No, you come on. You can use gold to buy a Tesla, right? Gold has uses. Uh, that's true. It's a good conductor. You can actually use it. It's like gold plate. It looks great embedded on your forehead. Yeah, or making toilets out of it, I understand. That's true. Anyway, okay. Dr. Julian, he was a steroid man, right? <laughs> he, he had been doing this stuff. And he had a plan. Was um, he just, like, super jacked at 50? He's <laughs> <laughs> <It's like, laughs> getting swole on his own product. I saw some pics. He was a pretty good-looking dude. Oh. I'm a little suspicious. Oh. Anyway, so basically, instead of making cortisone from some kind of compound in bile, he wanted to make it from a different precursor, a chemical called Reichstein Substance S. Mm-hmm. Reign of the Stein. <laughs> so Reichstein was a Polish-Swiss chemist. In the 1940s, he was milking adrenal glands and seeing what sorts of chemicals were in there. I like to just imagine these bags that he had. Like, <laughs> 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 yeah. I mean, honestly, his whole thing was like adrenal glands got lots of chemicals in them. Right. What kinds of chemicals are there? Right. And so as he was slowly separating out chemicals, he named them creative names like Substance R and Substance S. Yeah. Excellent. I like that better. <laughs> the names are dumb, dude. So substance S is actually, now we know it as 11-deoxycortisone. I like substance S better than that. 11-deoxycortisone <laughs> actually has the name cortisone in it, so you can tell, hey, it's a pretty similar chemical. I'm upset, because basically <clears throat> what you're saying is they took the name for something I could say to something that makes me sound like a dumbass. Yeah. And that's like the trajectory. This that's is, the entire goal of science, uh, is to make people like you look stupid. This is why the pitchforks <laughs> are coming, Sean. <laughs> so, you know, basically, the difference between cortisone and 11-deoxycortisone right. is a deoxy. It's one oxygen. So it's missing one oxygen in a spot. So Dr. Julian was like, fuck, dude, one oxygen? Like, let's just get a bunch of this substance S. Yeah, and just like really yeah, just get it in there. figure out a way to pound an oxygen in there. Yeah. So then his new goal was, how do we get substance S? Because this Reichstein dude was milking adrenal glands for it. Right. Again, same problem as before. At least there's a lot of slaughtered cows. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, this is not a great way to get anything that you want to mass produce, is having to pull it out of adrenal glands or something. So Dr. Julian was like, how can I synthesize my way out of the problem? They figured out that substance S 
is pretty similar to, again, stigmasterol, the same chemical that he used to make a shitload of progesterone, right? right? So, since he knew how to get a bunch of stigmasterol, soybean oil and water, right? right? He got a bunch of that stigmasterol. He figured out a really clean way to turn that into substance S. Okay, cool. Now that he had a bunch of substance S, he found out that adding that one oxygen in Actually, really difficult. <laughs> okay. So his idea for like, oh, this is going to be simple. It was not simple. Mm. And at the end of the day, the people that figured that out, figured out how to do it, was actually a team at Upjohn Pharmaceuticals. Okay. The company that had bought the progesterone from it. Okay, cool. Science is a collaborative effort. Right. And this team, what they found out was a fungus could do it. Oh. So a fungus had an enzyme that was really good at popping that oxygen in. Oh, shit. So good. That that's basically the main way that hydrocortisone was made for decades. Decades and decades. Well, it has it made now? You know, honestly, it's possible that now we still make it that way. Okay. I, so I just we know just that have big old beds of fungus? I think we get the enzyme out. Oh. So now we get a bunch of that enzyme and we just mix it in to the 11-deoxycortisone. That's cool. And it turns it into cortisone or hydrocortisone. And, you know, awesome. That drug... Got to be used to help alleviate a lot of pain in people with rheumatoid arthritis. It's used as an anti-inflammatory in people for a lot of different yeah. inflammatory disorders. And it's thanks in part to Dr. Julian being able to up the amount of substance S out there. So I have a kind of stupid question for you. Yeah. All right. So, you know, I think we've all seen kind of like, you know, like a little chart or diagram mm -hmm. of what one of these things looks like. It's like... Could hook up a C to another C, and then a C, and a C, and yeah. a C, and a yeah. C, and then you got a benzene ring or something? Sure. Uh, how how do you actually figure that out? Because that's very small, right? I love you so much. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> you're so good. You're you such a good boy. Because it. when I was writing up these notes, it occurred to me that everything I knew about how you identify a chemical... Yeah is based off of stuff that was invented at least in 1950, if not the 1970s. Wow. So because Dr. Julian was doing a lot of stuff before that, right. I was like, how the fuck did anyone even know what the chemical structure of any of these things were? Because yeah. I said a couple of times in the notes, oh, and then this person figured out the chemical structure right. for progesterone and yeah. blah, 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 blah. He had very, very good eyes. <laughs> 2020 vision. We probably need to do an episode on it. Right, okay. Because actually there is what is what now to me sounds like a ridiculous number of steps and things to do. Yeah. Where basically some very simple compounds, people back in like the fucking 1700s, 1600s, started figuring out atoms and right. elements, right? That you could break things down into elements. Right. And how, how'd you figure that out? Not easy. Uh. It was basically when you took something... And you heated it up or something like that right. to the point where it became something that wouldn't change any further. Okay. It, it was trying to break things down into kind of like a Greek concept of like an unchangeable hmm. aspect. Right? Good the, job, Greeks. Like, like a fundamental thing. Right. I, I can't remember which one of them that was a big deal for. Aristotle, maybe? And no, it was um, Democritus, I think, who had the idea of the atom. Right, but not necessarily the atom, but elements as like oh. as like an element as a. Right, I think that was fundamental. Earth, wind, and fire. Yeah, it was actually. Yeah, yeah but yeah. That, that's the thing. Oh, well, I mean, I was just, that's not about the funk thing. Or earth, 
air, fire, and yeah, all the tribes. Else. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I, I don't remember who though. That's probably he's probably fucking Aristotle. <laughs> yeah, I, I, but like the idea was like, oh, there's the four elements, right? And they are like the fundamental aspects of all things, and then everything is a mixture right. of those four elements, right? And scientists, the very early natural philosophers, were like, let's figure out those elements. And what they found out was there was more than four. Right. There's a shitload of elements. And they started right. naming them things like oxygen and nitrogen and carbon and stuff like that. Right. Anyway, we got to do a whole episode on how people were doing this shit in the 1920s. Because clearly it wasn't the same as how they were doing in the 1700s. Right. But they were doing stuff that, to me, is like, I can't believe that they figured out chemical structures from this. Right. It's truly, it's like a jigsaw puzzle type situation. Okay, well, cool. Well, anyway, anyway. Yeah, well, no, it's fine because we are closing out this episode. And I just wanted to say, like, look, we did some highlights here of some stuff he did. I think it's clear he had a huge impact in helping to scale up stuff, right? Which is an underappreciated aspect of science work. Right. Right. I think a lot of times the discovery is clearly a big deal. Right. But also figuring out how to make things better, how to make things accessible and available to people how to make things producible at a cost that, like, a common person can buy. Right. All of that is worth the work, and that was, like, kind of a very major part of what he contributed to the world. But he did a bunch of other stuff, too. While he was at Glidden working with those soybeans, he made super high-quality soy protein extract. Right. Which Glidden sent to another company, and they turned it into something called Aerofoam. Cool. Which the U.S. Navy used as a fire retardant. Nice. For fighting fires on ships. Saved a bunch of people's lives, you know, from that sweet, sweet soy protein that he made. Right. He made several companies. Laboratorios Julian de Mexico. Nice, and dude. Empress Agroquimica Guatemalteca. Weirder name. Yes. And so he formed those because he found out that there were wild yams growing in Guatemala and Mexico that had even more stigmasterol than soybeans did. Oh, shit. So he was like, I want in on that shit. Yeah. <laughs> Give me them yams. And eventually he sold those companies to Smith Klein, which eventually became GlaxoSmithKline. Sure, when they found a Martian to join them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I found out Glaxo was the guy's first name. What? Yeah. <laughs> Smith and Klein were the last names of two people like yeah. way later, but Glaxo was the first name of some dude. I liked it. It was his name like GlaxoSmith, and they're like, that won't do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, so, so this guy, he was a powerhouse. Figuring out ways to scale stuff up. And for it, he became the first chemist to be inducted in one of those halls of fame. Yes, the National Academy of Sciences. Woo! Yeah, and yeah, the National Academy is still a huge deal. The people who get inducted into it, it's a really significant moment in the career. They didn't storm it and destroy it on January 6th. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad it's still around, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, it made it. It weathered it through. (laughs) Yep, everyone. Well, you know, so that's it. That was Percy LeVon Julian, doctor and chemist extraordinaire. Yeah, different than Percy Jackson. I learned by the end of this episode. Yes, it was tough, though. At a certain point, you must have realized when he, like, wasn't fucking any demigoddesses or anything. Right. Like, Percy's a, a name that I don't hear a lot anymore. So, like, it devolves to pop culture reference very quickly for me. Yes. You know? Agreed. I'm with you. Percy. It, it was hard not to. Because also, Percy Jackson, Percy Julian. Yeah. Both got J last names. Right. That's too close. I feel like Percy was more common back then. Like, I feel like Percy's yeah. one of those old people names. Sure, you know? sure. Yeah. Well, anyway, whatever. Wasn't one of the Weasley boys in Harry Potter named Percy? I thought he was the prefect one. He was like the, I'm a dick. 
Like, fuck you guys. And then there was, like, George and, uh... Yeah. F Fred, Fred? Uh, yeah. You know one of the twins is the one who died, right? Yes. And there's Bill was the oldest. Spoiler alert! <laughs> yeah, Bill Bill was like, I fuck dragons. Yeah. <laughs> Are you excited for the reboot? Nope. Yeah, I mean, not really. All right. I never saw the movies. Thank you to Stacy Song, our sound lord and engineer. That's street cred. <laughs> Thank you to Brian for art. And uh, you can check us out on Twitter at Dish Podcast. You can email us at PetriDishPod at gmail.com. And you can go to our Patreon at patreon.com slash PetriDish. Yes, thank you for listening. Ich benign chemistry. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Thank you.